Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 506. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 880 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2021, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting more than 20 U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $9 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually, and providing competitive salaries and benefits to 240 team members based in Watsonville, California, and Miami, Florida. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. For each podcast episode this year, we thank three of our major sponsors. Our first sponsor thanks goes to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you are investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. As you may know, I've been documenting the emergence and rise of regional wholesale flower hubs for more than a decade. My deepest ties are with the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative whose origins date to 2010, when a group of growers came together at a regional ASCFG meeting held at Charles Little & Company in Eugene, Oregon. Fortunately, I was there and witnessed those first ambitious, optimistic conversations that yielded what we here in Seattle enjoy today. At the time, there were only two other models to which the founders of the Seattle Growers Market could look. Oregon Flower Growers Association, which has a long history in the Portland market, having been founded in the 1940s, and Fairfield Flowers, a small but mighty collective of Wisconsin and Illinois growers serving Madison and Milwaukee florists. Fairfield Flowers ceased operating as a collective on January 1st of 2019, but many of the flower farmers who participated still grow and sell flowers independently. We have witnessed, encouraged, and featured on the Slow Flowers podcast numerous other regional efforts to bring flowers from the field to the florist and consumer in innovative ways, from legal cooperatives to privately held wholesaler operations, from casual meetups to marketing collectives. You've heard from many of them or their members here on the Slow Flowers podcast. And now we have a new example to highlight. Let's welcome two of the founders of Old Dominion Flower Cooperative, a Washington, D.C. area local flower cooperative. My guests are Melissa Webster, founder, and Megan Wakefield, director of operations, two growers who are part of this group that launched publicly at the end of January. Soon after, Old Dominion joined Slow Flower Society and reached out to introduce themselves. Here are some statistics from a few months ago. I wouldn't be surprised if these numbers have grown in all categories. They include 22 farms within 90 minutes of Great Falls, Virginia, 
more than 85 years of combined cut flower production experience, more than 40 acres under production, and 100% female. Old Dominion Flower Cooperative is a community marketplace that brings together local growers, designers, and flower lovers by providing top quality, seasonal, sustainable, diverse, and locally grown cut flowers and foliages. They aim to make these floral products accessible to designers and the public while also respecting efforts of their local flower farming community. As you'll hear in today's episode, Old Dominion Flower Cooperative started in the winter of 2020 with a series of conversations led by local flower growers and floral designers in the greater D.C. area about how to fill a gap they saw in the local floral industry. They identified that a lot of fantastic flower growers in the area were having trouble breaking into the wholesale market, and even more designers and flower shops that wanted to use local flowers were having a hard time finding consistent sources of blooms. Old Dominion Flower Cooperative is committed to serving the needs of growers through marketing and distribution of their locally grown flowers and committed to answering the call of designers who want to work with top quality local flowers as well as fostering new and ongoing relationships between the public and the flowers they enjoy. With an emphasis on education and high-quality floral product, Old Dominion started a six-week training program for member farmers in March, taught by their mentor, Barbara Lanborn from Greenstone Fields, and Laura Beth Resnick from Butterbee Farms. Topics covered included harvesting, quality control, growing for designers, and flower conditioning. I'm excited to share this conversation with you today. Before we get started, let me tell you a little more about Melissa Webster and Megan Wakefield. Melissa is the owner of Old Soul Flower Company. She has been growing for her community for over eight years and is passionate about good stewardship of the land. Melissa received her MA from Georgian Court University, where she studied food access. Soon after, she was the farm manager at Common Good City Farm in downtown Washington, D.C. Melissa spent time as the education director at the National Farmers Union, where she worked with farmers around the country. She is a strong advocate for beginning and female producers. Melissa owned Lady Bell Farms in West River, Maryland, before moving to Great Falls, Virginia in 2019, with her husband, Ben, and their three dogs, Riley, Brixton, and Bean. Megan Wakefield is the owner of Walking Wild Gardens, based in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. She started gardening with her grandmother when young, and later owned a small herbal shop on the eastern shore of Virginia. Megan says her love of gardening, plants, teas, and herbs are all due to her grandmother's influence. In law school, Megan started getting interested in where her food came from. As a first-year lawyer, she started volunteering on local farms over the weekends. Soon she was hooked and left her 9-to-5 legal job to work on farms. Today, Megan owns Walking Wild Gardens. She teaches gardening workshops, offers consultations, blends tea, and builds beautiful gardens. In the end, everything she does is about building relationships with plants. Well, let's jump right in and hear more. I'll have photos and other resources and all the social media links to Old Dominion Flower Cooperative in today's show notes for episode 506 at deborahprinzing.com. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so happy today to introduce two innovators from Northern Virginia. I have... uh, 
Melissa Webster, founder of the Old Dominion Flower Cooperative, and Megan Wakefield, who is the director of operations of Old Dominion Flower Cooperative. So we're going to be talking about collective wholesale flower hubs and uh, specifically what they're doing at this brand new operation. Welcome, ladies. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, thank you. We're all looking at each other on Zoom. So um, I'll try to identify Megan and Melissa when they're speaking, and they will too. Um, I also want to say that both of them are flower farmers. So Melissa is the owner of Old Soul Flower Company, which is in Virginia, and Megan is the owner of Walking Wild Gardens, based in West Virginia. And they are kicking off the season on May 2nd. We're actually recording this in late April. We had to record early because your plate is very full. So uh, thanks for joining me. And maybe we'll start out with Melissa. Can you just talk about, um, like, what is uh, the Old Dominion Flower Cooperative? And, and like, how did it how did it come to be? Because it's not even a year old, right? No, we're, we're so young. <laughs> <laughs> so young, but so learned so many lessons so far. Um, sure. Old Dominion Flower Cooperative is a group of, we have 11 owners, um, 11 female owners, all a mix of flower farmers and designers, which is uh, really cool. And then we have 22 flower farmers um, at, that are located within 90 miles of Great Falls, Virginia. So we have some Maryland, some one West Virginia, and mostly Virginia. Um, what it looks like is uh, there was a bunch, well, back in the fall, um, I was thinking about how I could sell my flowers um, more streamlined, and I had conversations with a designer I had freelanced for, um, Haley from Cedar and Lime Co. And um, we were chatting how um, a cooperative in Virginia would be very beneficial for the local flower industry that is actually thriving in Northern Virginia and DC. We have innovators like Ellen Frost in Baltimore and, you know, Barbara from Greenstone Fields. And we have a lot of great growers and um, supporters here. So uh, just start calling people. I called, you know, one flower farmer I knew, and then they knew a friend, and they knew a designer, and they knew a friend, you know, so we all jumped on a call in November and just started Zooming. Um, none of us had actually met in person. Actually, some of us have still never met in person, which is actually pretty exceptional. Probably, so, be, yeah, because of COVID, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, from there, the 11 founders, you know, we incorporated and started inviting farmers on, and what that looks like is... Um, the cooperative is a little unique where the farmers set the price, the wholesale price, and they get 100% of that price. And then we add something called stem tax on top of that price, which goes back onto into the cooperative for, um, you know, rent, paying uh, Megan, um, our director, and uh, things like that to mm. function. Um, so we're really proud of that. Um, all the growers bring all their product to the cooler and it's one pickup location for all the designers out of DC, Baltimore and Northern Virginia. Wow. That's amazing. So we're about four weeks in. <laughs> yeah. We've been, well, we had intended on not sell, starting until May 2nd. That was going to be our kickoff date. And then, um, we started reaching out to growers, got everybody on board, got buyers on board. And um, then in March, the last week of March, uh, folks started saying, well, where are the flowers? So we um, so we actually did open our wholesale store back in March. And so we're about yeah, six or seven weeks into wholesale. Um, but when we launch actually open to the public on May 2nd, then we'll be adding our public markets, adding things like workshops and events, farm tours. Um, and so we're kind of considering May 2nd our kickoff, but we've been doing like a 
sort of soft run or, or a trial up until this point, about six or seven weeks. Oh, thanks for clarifying that, Megan. And I, you're right. I, we, you told me that, and I apologize. So the May second is is one phase, which is your public facing phase. But the I understand exactly what you're saying. The florists have been chomping at the bit because they've known that this is in the works. Um, and so like, what would the first crop have been? Like when you said in March, was it early spring bulbs, that sort of thing? Oh, it was, it was wild. We have one grower that grows in a greenhouse. Um, and so she's about three weeks ahead of everybody else in terms of, um, her production. So the first week we had, um, some anemones from her really gorgeous, like 16 inch stem anemones. Um, and we had some, um, curly willow. Wonderful. And it was really tiny. And that's pretty much all we had. We sold some anemone and some curly willow that hey, first. Hey, people are hungry for it. They'll take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and we were happy to do so because we didn't want growers, you know, waiting around and trying to figure out what their channels would be before, um, you know, in this, this March, April time period. Mm-hmm. So we did start selling what, wow. what they had. So talk about the 11 uh, owners. Are they all farmers? Because you mentioned that florists were involved. Like, how did that, how did you... Uh, I mean, I think that's pretty unique uh, to have, you know, more of a diversified uh, philosophy. Yeah. So this is Melissa. Um, So, you know, when I first started calling folks, uh, I really just wanted to be everybody at the table because florists um, not only one need to be educated on on local flowers if we're ever going to grow this movement, but they need to be on our side with the farmers and also understand pricing, understand you know, the farmer's perspective and the farmers need to have a relationship with the designers um, and the floral owners to understand what they need. So um, we all thought that if we were all at the table together, creating this thing together, we'd be equally invested and equally open-minded um, with each other and learn from each other about how to grow local flowers. So um, there was no, yeah, there was no, uh, there was no qualms about it. Everyone was like, yeah, Absolutely. Everybody at the table and let's do it. So it Megan cool. and I are both sitting here nodding as you're talking like, yes. <laughs> like how radical is this? And um, it's it's a huge leap to say to the florists, we want you to help birth this, this hub because obviously those are florists who are already self-selected into the slow flowers movement. Like they want the local product. And, and many of them had been buying from both of you individually probably and some of the other farms as well, right? Yeah. So all three of the, um, there's on, on our board, there's eight farms and three designers and all three of the designers that are on, um, that are owners of the cooperative were really invested in local flowers had already been buying from a lot of our farms. And in fact, we're looking for a way to be able to buy from more farms and more consistently without like driving around the region to all the different farms to pick up every week. So for them, there was this, you know, real desire to have one centralized location where it would be easier to access local flowers and more consistent um, and also to streamline streamline things like invoicing um, and delivery so that it's not, uh, you know, dealing with a bunch of different farms every week. Well, the, not the florist doesn't have to deal with a bunch of farms and then the farm doesn't have to deal with a bunch of florists because <laughs> yeah. Old Dominion Flower Cooperative is truly going to be the, the, the hub, the magnet, the, where all the action takes place, but also helping people with like you said, kind of one-stop shopping, would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, that was something that we really were focused on when we built the website. So right now um, we sell our wholesale um, through one centralized website. And that was something, before we even built the website, we had some listening sessions with um, a lot of designers and we talked to a lot of farmers and talked about 
what their needs were, what their goals were. And we really tried to build the store based on what worked for everyone. So one of the things was streamlining invoicing that they're just being, you click on one button, go to the checkout and, you know, and pay for all of those flowers in one place. Um, but another, you know, thing that we really thought about the designer said, we really want to be looking at images. We'd want to see exactly what things look like. And so that was, we were able to build that into the store that, um, you know, in direct response to what the designers were looking for, that they like shopping visually in our store, you're able to sort by color. And that was something they were asking for. So we kind of were trying to build something. Yeah, exactly. A one-stop shop, mm -hmm. but also super user-friendly. Mm -hmm. So at the same time that I could look on the site and kind of see what's available, and I'm assuming that the farmers are responsible for updating their availability every week. Let's talk about that first. And then I have another question. Is that kind of how the site gets populated? You guys are laughing. Um, no, it's less efficient than that. Um. <laughs> hey, it's not even year one. You, yeah, you, you, get, no, so you get an excuse. Yeah. So the, um, the farmers provide me their availability every week. Um, they let me know exactly what they expect to have. And we did, um, and we can talk about this more, but before we started our season, we did a really intensive series of um, educational sessions for all of our growers. Our growers are all at varying, um, you know, numbers of years of flower farming. Mm -hmm. So we, it's not to say that, you know, those who are way more experienced necessarily needed the education, but we really wanted to get everyone on exactly the same page. Mm -hmm. And so one of the education sessions was how to estimate your fields and how to walk your fields and estimate what you're going to have, which is of course an ever <laughs> moving target. Oh yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's priceless uh, information though. Yeah. But it was, you know, so that's what they do. The, the farmers let me know what they expect they'll have the following week. Um, and then I use an app that we were super grateful to be able to um, license from Piedmont Flower Cooperative down in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, so we've licensed a, an app that they built that allows me to upload to our Shopify store, the availability, assign it to the different growers. And then once those orders come through from buyers, I just basically like push to download and I can assign orders um, directly to farmers and download their kind of harvest lists directly from there. That's amazing. Maybe we can get a screenshot of what that looks like and share it in the show notes um, just to illustrate um, what, what a florist would see when she or he comes to the Old Dominion Flower Cooperative. Okay, so that's the online world. Is there an in-person shopping component where, like, where are you housed? And maybe, maybe Melissa, you can talk about this. Because there, we know there's florists who want to touch and smell and feel and, you know, experience the flowers before they make a purchase decision. Is that part of the mix too? Yeah. Um, so, you know, streamlining everything was is one component, but we also know the relationships with the flowers and the farmers for the designers is another component um, that is really important that we got feedback from. And also great people that we soundboarded off like Ellen Frost let us know like, hey, we've had problems with cooperative with quality. Um, so all the flowers that go out to designers are labeled. So when they come to pick up their order, the bunches are labeled with the farm. Um, so they know exactly where um, every flower comes from. And also we've done, um, before I talk about our actual physical location, yeah. we've done meet and greets with the farmers and the floral designers safely during the pandemic. Um, so even though they're not having that interaction, purchasing flowers with them or picking up, um, we are trying to create opportunities to build that relationship between the two communities. Um, right now, um, and I know uh, other cooperatives we've talked to in the country about spacing as is an issue, especially pricing that spacing. Um, so we've partnered with a local CrossFit gym, which seems really, <laughs> <laughs> it seems 
necessarily, but right, it's a it's an industrial space with an open garage door that we can like back trucks up into um, that we got really cheap rent with, and um, that relationship has been really amazing. Um, awesome! It's so you just were creative in terms of what what you looked at and considered for a warehouse space. Yeah. And you know, you have to be open-minded, especially when you're a startup. So um, our coolers there, it was built by one of our farmers and pickup looks like on Tuesday, our farmers drop off, which is my, we call it intake day. It's my favorite day. The farmers drop off flowers They They sit for an hour with their babies and they, you know, talk about what's in their field, how, how to get rid of aphids in the greenhouse, which is like something we didn't think of, but the relationships between the farmers, and then they go off and collaborate on their own to do projects they've never met before the co-op. Um, that's been really special day. And then designers come on Wednesday. And so one of the owners are there always to meet them. And um, we do quality control checks with them to make sure everything's okay before they take them. Um, and then Megan delivers after um, we do pickups. Megan um, uh, delivers to florists who can't make it in to pick up. Is that right? Yeah, we, we do offer delivery for like larger orders or for those who are a little further away. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your to your question about you know touching and getting to experience the flowers, that's something that's been really cool. Is at the pickup location when a designer comes. This happened yesterday on our Wednesday pickup. A designer comes. And we've got, you know, um, a big order sitting out that I'm about to load into my my vehicle to go for a delivery. And she's looking and saying, oh, what, what about this? What's this? What kind of foliage is this? And so she's getting experience um, with our local flowers and the variety of things that we have um, to be able to look, touch and observe mm-hmm. basically for the next week. Sometimes we do have extra. Uh, occasionally um, growers will drop us with extra product and say, I have some things. We almost always can sell them because, you know, if, if there's extra stuff sitting like, around. Um, like you would call that open stock or something, right? Yeah. Just yeah. like extra um, bunches. We we um, can usually sell those, but it's, um, yeah, it's a great opportunity for the designers to get to see the whole, you know, wide range of things that we're offering and maybe things that on a store for whatever reason, if they don't have experience with a particular STEM, they might not purchase it yeah. online. But then when they see it in person, they're able to say, oh my gosh, what's that? You know, I want to try to buy that next week. So what I, I think I hear you saying is you're really trying to pre-sell as much as possible and have that transaction already booked before you roll up that garage door on Wednesday morning. But there are times when there's juicy extras that might go home with somebody you know, unexpectedly. Um is that just because it's your early days and that in the future you might uh, have more of a, I don't know, more of a traditional like open stock on the floor model or are you just not sure yet? That could happen. Um, if we were to find ourselves with like a storefront where we wanted to uh, be selling more to the public mm. and also hold more product during the week, we could imagine doing something like that where we are open, you know, have open days where designers can come and just shop on the floor. Um, but for right now, yeah, that kind of pre-sale model is is working really well for us. And it's kind of an introduction for us into managing inventory and, um, yeah. you know, uh, you know, getting our really familiar with our cooler and how things hold, how things move. Because um, we're pretty early. We don't have, you know, we have no delivery van. We have no. Uh, I noticed you, know, you said vehicle in that van. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, um, it's a Toyota RAV4. Yeah. It, can, it can hold a lot, but. Um, but it has- you are so funny. I love it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like you've gone zero to 60 
super fast. So I wasn't trying to add more to your plate. That sounds like something that can have, you know, can be evaluated as you grow and you're in the midst of this growth spurt that, um, and what, it's not even May 1st yet. So imagine if we speak again in October, you know, what's the, you know, what's the, uh, I guess, end of season evaluation and, and sort of rear, rear, rear view mirror kind of analysis. It'll be really interesting to hear, hear what you have to say at the end of the season. So plus you're both growers. So uh, I'm just curious, maybe you can talk about your own farms and how, you know, what, what your experience has been as a sort of a solopreneur and now coming in to be uh, this, this cooperative model. Um, So let's see, well, Melissa, since you you really had the urge to start this uh, wonderful regional hub, talk a little bit about Old Soul Flower Company and what is your path to flowers? And are you able to juggle your farm plus the co-op? <laughs> this is very interesting you asked Deborah, because I have recently also become pregnant during this entire process. Of course. <laughs> of course. And who got married and you know, <laughs> all of you, <the>, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, I'll end, I'll end talking about that work-life balance a little bit because it is very difficult to uh, be a farmer and try to also do a, a new startup because my, my farm's only a year old here. Um, so my background is I used to be a vegetable farmer. I, was this, I got my master's degree in sustainable agriculture and I farmed you know for eight years around the country, lived out of my Toyota Camry, and then I uh, came to DC and I was the manager of an urban farm called Common Good City Farm and got offered a job at National Farmers Union to run their beginning farmer institute and their women's programming. So I spent time around the country, um, 33 states visiting hundreds of farms, learning more about um, what people were doing, what they need help with, grants, USDA policy, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, during that time, I had started my own flower farm with two other women in Maryland while trying to juggle a full-time job. Um, I switched to flowers because I thought they were easier, which is like all of you listening can laugh at me right now, right? My idea was like, oh, they can sit in the field on like the vegetables. It's like a 27-year-old <laughs> me. Um, but, you know, I kind of fell in love with flowers. My customers... Um, getting them through tough times when people were sick and I was bringing them my flowers or if someone just needs a pick me up, it kind of just touched my heart a little bit differently than vegetables did. And so I stuck with it. We bought this property two years ago. We're just on two acres. I probably grow on about a quarter, hopefully grow into a half an acre and um, growing flowers. I have my own CSA. Um, we have a 30 person CSA. I also do weddings and um I do workshops. So we do workshops for youth, youth floral design, mm. teaching kids about local flowers um, and Love also it. workshops. Yeah. Um, also workshops for adults and teaching them about local flowers. And I also teach at a Montessori school gardening. Um, creating, creating the cooperative, I thought this was going to make my life easier um, <laughs> because it was like this, just this thing, this, you know, I was, it was seven, I was going to have seven farms off of off of my farm and everything would be here and I could just push product. And um, the need for this was really apparent when we put out a call for farmers and, you know, we wanted to do maybe 10 and we ended up with 22 really amazing farmers because this oh, is a trend across the country. Yeah. Not a lot of farmers, most of them have a job off the farm. Um, 
or have a spouse that have a job off the farm and they can't do marketing, they can't do relationship building. Um, maybe they just had a child, um, you know, and, and, and this industry is very female oriented. Um, so that was hard to step away from. Once I saw the need, I was like, oh, well, we need to go hundred miles per hour because these, everyone needs our help. There, there's a need for local flowers. The farmers need help pushing it. Let's do it. Um, I got pregnant in the mix of that. And I will tell you, I'll be honest, I have not a single flower planted in my field, you know, <laughs> this year. And I, I, I don't feel resentful or anything towards that because, yeah. you know, my dahlias will go in, my party, my hot annuals will go in, it'll be fine. Um, but I feel like, um, if, you know, this was a startup, my farm's a startup. And so this was really hard to do as a grower. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You had to sacrifice something. Um, so Melissa, are you, um, are you thinking that you'll just do like a late summer CSA? Cause those customers are probably already bugging you for like, where's the sign up for my CSA? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I keep sending them like vegetable jokes via email to keep them in a good mood. I'm like, they're coming. <laughs> um, yeah. So my customers are great. You know, a lot of my customers have been with me for a while, so they understand seasonality. And so I just pushed it back a couple of weeks and I said, Hey, the first couple of weeks, you're going to get product from other growers and oh. we're going to learn about all the farmers in this area. And I'm going to teach you about not just me, but all the other growers in this area. And, um, and then my flowers are going to be here by June and, it'll be great. You oh, know? I love, I love <laughs> so, that. That's so interesting. I, I talked with um, another group like this, uh, I think for a print story. And I think it was the Connecticut. Oh, no, maybe it was I had, had them on the podcast. I think I had somebody from the Connecticut Flower Growers um, uh, Collective. And uh, she said, basically, we're, we, the farmers are all each other's best customers. And I, I'm wondering if that's kind of happening with you guys, too. <laughs> Yeah, I've definitely gotten a few emails this week for Mother's Day saying, hey, is there any extra product for me to grab? You know, because a lot of folks have pre-sold Mother's Day bouquets. Yeah, sure. Wow. Well, let's talk a little bit about Megan Wakefield and Walking Wild Gardens. Because you seem to maybe also be in this dilemma of are you actually a flower farmer now or are you the CEO of a cooperative? Yeah, definitely. I am the same um, boat. I have planted a few things, but I planted them very late. They're very short. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, so I I did put the flower growing a little bit on the back burner this year. Um, Walking Wild Gardens is um, the product of a lifetime of a bunch of different things with interest in all things plant related, but it's really like an all, (laughs) a catch all for everything I'm interested in. Okay, okay, great. Tell us about your path then. Yeah, so my path's really windy and strange, but um, I, I started out as a lawyer. Uh, I was working in Baltimore City um, in on a project uh, focused on urban agriculture, so helping community organizations get access to land and create nonprofits to be able to start growing, um, you know, vegetables in, in their communities. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to farming. And I got really interested. I started volunteering on a farm on the weekends while I was, you know, working in my law office during, um, during the week. And then I got this opportunity uh, gifted to me by my partner where he wanted to go to Europe to do his master's degree. And um, so I said, I'm coming. And I started woofing while he was in uh, doing his, you know, schoolwork and um, learned all about growing vegetables and got really excited about uh, farming. And when we came back, I joined the Future Harvest um, CASA Beginner Farmer Training Program. 
and got just got really all in on the idea of becoming a farmer. Um, and they placed me with Barbara Lamborn of Greenstone Fields for my internship. Oh my gosh. So um, it was, you know, not intentional that I started growing flowers, but I got placed in that wonderful placement and I learned so much from Barbara about growing flowers and got super excited about, you know, the idea of growing flowers in addition to vegetables. Um, and that sort of led me to this path of, uh, also during this time, I start, uh, did an apprenticeship in herbalism and I got really excited about herbs as well. So um, anyhow, that all led to walking wild gardens where I make and sell tea. I help um, residential uh, properties develop edible gardens. Um, that's one of the biggest mm -hmm. things that I do. And then I started also growing flowers kind of as a side project. Wow. Um, so it's a lot of various kind of plant related things. But when Melissa came to, to me um, and said, I have this idea for a flower cooperative, I just got really excited about it. I liked the idea of being in a community of other growers. Um, and I, you know, also it was looking for a balance for myself. And this is why I'm, I'm really, again, like not totally not resentful, super happy about scaling back some of my gr production. Um, is that I was looking for a balance in my life between the like hands in the dirt, working hard outside, solving problems that way, and looking for more community, looking for more um, collaborative uh, problem solving. Mm -hmm. And so I got really excited and kind of jumped all in on the idea of helping run the cooperative because um, it just really appealed to me. It's my kind of work. I, I get to do, you know, spreadsheets and planting in the field and meeting people in person. And so it's everything I like. Well, I'm just, I'm so impressed with both of you in terms of like your uh, careers starting in what could have been like a like a legal or in, you know, community organizing or some, you know, like, you know, Melissa, you had, you know, this advanced degree in agriculture, you know, you guys could have gone into the bureaucratic realm and you pulled back and maybe that's part of uh, this. That's the secret sauce, I think, of people it, as you said, it's mostly female. People who want to be in this kind of environment are are have a mission driven focus and purpose, and want to be in community. Like all of these things define what you're doing with Old Dominion Flower Cooperative. So it makes sense to hear this story, but it's so nice to have the fuller picture. Ah, oh, all right. So I just have to show my geograph geographic uh, ignorance. How far away are you, Megan, in West Virginia from Northern Virginia? Like, what is that? Does that matter? Or are you yeah. camping out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it's actually not that far. So the D.C. area, and this is why I think we had such um, movement around this idea as soon as we put it out into the public, because the range, that 90 mile radius that we offered from Great Falls includes me in, in West Virginia. It includes Baltimore. It includes all the way down to, we have growers in Spotsylvania, um, which, you know, if you're not familiar with the area, that means nothing, but Maryland and West Virginia and Virginia all really meet really within about an hour's okay. drive from one another. Right. So pretty much everything is within an hour or an hour and a half's drive from one another. Um, so we're, and that's also why we have so many farms. We just are in an area where there's a lot of people and a lot of um, people interested in agriculture and yeah, you know, it's like I mean, it's really impressed. You've got this population explosion in this highly dense resident, you know, area of residential and business, and luckily still agriculture land. Or like Melissa, you know, you can grow a flower farm on a quarter acre and actually monetize it. And so it's not like people have. Some of people maybe have more acreage, and you mentioned someone with a greenhouse, but it's kind of a hybrid model of lots of different ways that flowers are grown. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think too, you know, I'm, I'm in Northern Virginia. I'm in Great Falls. I'm 20 minutes from DC. Um, we used to be rural here in this town. We used to be all rural, rural dairy, but uh, you know, urban encroachment, just like a lot of the other parts of the country. Um, but I have no problem selling my flowers because um, if you go past my dirt road, <laughs> um, it's, it's urban. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, in, and so it's very different than if you drive out near Megan or some of the farmers an hour and a half away that have to drive to DC an hour to sell their flowers. So, uh, so coming to the, the drop-off on Tuesdays in Great Falls is shortening that trip too, right? For the, the yes. growers who don't have to go into DC proper, right? Or to Baltimore yes. or something. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully it, it, sh- it cuts down on their driving time. Um, and then also because they're able to just drop off at one location, it, it hopefully saves them some time as well, not needing to go to a bunch of different places, even if everything's really close together. I can attest to this yesterday. I did some deliveries yesterday. And even if you're driving between five locations that are all 10 miles apart each, it could take you all day. <laughs> I remember that when I first met Diane Sukavati and Dennis Westfall of Jello Mold Farm, this was like, you know, 10 years ago. Actually, it was like, we may probably met in 2010. So a little bit more than 10 years ago. And there, they had a bucket truck and that was what it was called. And Diane said, no matter which way you slice it, you cannot deliver to more than 16 florists in a day. And it was a long day because they live 70 miles north of the city of Seattle. So then it's like a 15 hour day and uh, there's wear and tear on that. So I'm sure, Megan, soon you will have a delivery driver on your team. In the works. (laughs) Well, that kind of leads me to something I should have asked earlier, but maybe you'd be comfortable talking just a little bit. How did this get funded? Um, Melissa, did you ask people to make an initial kind of shareholder investment or did you get a grant? And do you feel comfortable talking a little bit just about that general yeah, model? Absolutely. I mean, we're full transparency with everybody. Um, sure. I mean, there was no real plan when I started calling people. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> um, you're just never- a can do. You're like, I'll yeah. make it work. <laughs> I just love community. And, you know, and so I was like, if we're all at the table, we're all smart. We'll figure it out. Um, so when we all got together and we decided we wanted to do this thing um, in that uh, I had called Megan, I was like, Hey, uh, do you want to be a director with me and kind of organize this? And she was like, sure. Uh, we put our brains together and we're like, well, what's the buy-in, you know, like mm-hmm. what, and, and knowing realistically that we're working with growers um, that probably who, you know, we're asking now, like, almost springtime where you're putting all your inputs, like you have no cash flow. It was right, like late right. winter, right. early spring. And we're like, what can we realistically ask from people? So uh, no funding. Um, we $500 each, right? There's 11 of us. Um, so not a lot of startup money. So, so everybody I mean, put in $500. Everyone put in $500. Which probably just um, basically paid for your cooler and a few other things, right? Yeah, it was yeah. really, um, That's that's something that like, you know, to anybody who's thinking about starting a cooperative, you know, like that's something that we have really been super close with. So every week, you know, we use those initial funds, which were wonderful because they allowed us to basically get everything we needed to pretty much be up and running. Um, but they didn't really cover much else. And so now at this point, that's why we're developing. Um, we're really, you know, we're very humble about the fact that pretty much every week, some major thing changes because we're learning yeah. every single week and we're changing how our profits function and we're changing, you know, what are we selling? You know, we, 
tested. Um, we realized, you know, if we have extra product and it's not going to be a market week yet because we hadn't, we haven't yet had our, you know, public, uh, season kickoff. Right. We started selling DIY buckets, mm. um, to some folks that had bought in. We, um, I have a membership called our flower friends membership, um, who are folks that are able to come to those public markets, but the public markets weren't started yet. And so we started selling DIY buckets or we started, um, even occasionally we've done some bouquets, you know, and, and a couple of other things, just trying to kind of keep that cash flow moving. Yeah. Um, it is, uh, one of our, uh, owners keep saying, um, it's like building an airplane while flying it. And that's exactly <laughs> mm-hmm. what we're doing. Um, every, yeah, it wasn't a whole bunch of startup capital, but it is working because mm-hmm. we're able to move the product. Um, we're, you know, we're selling as many flowers as we can handle. And, um, and yeah, and we're learning and adjusting as we go. And this is most, and I have a background in grant writing. And at first, initially I was excited about that. Cause I was like, oh, I know USDA programs ins and out from running a beginning farmer program, like specialty crops grant, like beginning BFRDP, like, you know, like right. I've written many of those before, except for, um, there's two of us. And so uh, hand, handling federal dollars is if anyone's ever or is thinking about doing that, um, you know, it needs to be down to the, the penny. And so we would really need to be on top of tracking those dollars, of having an account of having our financial situation set up. So the, the first year for us, even if we had written a $40,000 grant or had partnered up with extension here, um, that's adding another thing on top yeah. of trying to do the wholesale thing and figure this out. So Grant funding, um, probably next year, yeah. once we have a year's worth of data. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that was, that's definitely been on our mind. Um, but hopefully well, soon. And because you're a legal co-op, I think you'll be in, in a better position to apply and be taken seriously, or at least seen as a good fit for USDA grant funding versus like a, a you know, LLC or an S corp, like a for-profit grower or, florist who just and, and that has those people are starting regional flower hubs too and maybe they're getting grants in different ways but i just sort of feel like you're you that is in your future and maybe even don't most of those applications happen kind of in the fall like spring oh, okay uh, maybe you can maybe you could do this during your maternity leave melissa yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. I just want to say, if you do that and you need a letter of recommendation, uh, I, I've written Slow Flowers letters of recommendation for lots of people's applications to USDA. So please reach out because I do think sometimes it's just um, showing and demonstrating the support for, Absolutely. you know, from from allies. So that's great. Wow. Um, okay. Let's talk about the STEM tax. Like that is really interesting. And um, I haven't heard about it. And you told me about it when we talked a couple of weeks ago and I was like, creative thinking. So um, I don't know. Do you want, Megan, you want to try to take your stab sure. at that? <laughs> Yeah. So it was the idea of one of our owners, um, her husband's a CPA. And when we were very first brainstorming, uh, he gave us the advice, what have you thought about a STEM tax? Because we know that a lot of other flower cooperatives around the country just take a portion of the sale from the grower. 30%. That's that's what I've heard too. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, because we're we're growers, we were resistant to that idea. I will say like, as we're moving forward and especially as, as we were just saying, finances are something that we're kind of always looking at. We have right now this model and we're open to changing it. You know, we'll have sure. to kind of reevaluate as we go, but the way STEM tax works right now is um, as Melissa described, we sent out back in the winter, a um, 
we did like this really comprehensive pricing survey where we asked all 22 of our farmers to give the prices that they felt comfortable with for pretty much every stem. We were super detailed, um, went down the line and, um, and, you know, and growers gave input on the things they grow and they just skipped the things they don't grow. Mm -hmm. But basically we used that to democratically determine the prices for all of our, um, all of our flowers. And so, so if it's the same, you know, stem length and the same cultivar, it's going to be the same price depending right. regardless so those are of like, the farm. Those prices are like the median price. And okay. then if we have something that is, for example, greenhouse grown and super long and, and you know, more luscious or early season, we can go up on price. Yeah. Or if it's a particularly rare variety or expensive variety, we can go up. If it's short, if there's something different about it, we can go down on price. But that kind of gives us like for each, for each stem, we have a, a range. A, yeah, yeah, a range. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how we started. And then we put on top of that a, uh, what we called stem tax, um, which is basically just something. So we're, instead of taking the, the price from the growers, we're pretty much passing them to the designers. And we were really hoping that we'd be able to do that by streamlining. So what we talked about before, the value of being able to buy online in a streamlined process and pick up from one location, yeah. where thing is worth the little bit extra that a designer pays. And it's a small, it's a small stem tax. <laughs> it's about it's, 12%. Yeah. If you, so other co-ops are doing 30%. Our stem tax right now, if you add it all together, is about 12% mm-hmm. of, of all, mm-hmm. all of our revenue. And, yeah. do, and do you charge, uh, just for a second, I want to just, I was thinking, do you charge a buyer's card to florists, like a annual okay. fee? So that's, yeah. th- this is kind of like a, a two-part thing. Like they buy a, uh, the right to shop from you, and then they, which, what is that? Yeah. So that also has evolved. Oh, okay. um, when we very first reached out to the initial couple of buyers, like exactly what I'm also saying, we thought this was going to be like seven farms and, you know, maybe 25 <laughs> buyers. And <laughs> like we had kind of mushroomed. <laughs> yeah. So when we first reached out to a couple of buyers and said, are you interested in kind of workshopping this idea mm-hmm. with us and being a part of our soft launch? We, um, had just offered them access for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as we started reaching a point where we were realizing this was going to be bigger, we were going to need a bigger cooler, need to rent a location, and not operate off of Melissa's farm. Um, you know, the inputs changed. And yeah, so, totally. So we did um, start charging an annual buyer's fee. It's still pretty low. It's a hundred dollars um, to be a buyer with us. Um, they have the option of also paying seventy five dollars to access pre orders. Um, which is something that some buyers choose. That's smart. Um, Super smart. And it's nothing compared to their time. I mean, you're, you're, you're providing convenience and service. That's awesome. That's our hope. Um, you know, and we know too, you know, we're only, like we said, only six weeks into selling flowers. So we also know we are in the process of building our reputation around our quality and our ease of use. And, um, so right now it might be that some buyers are looking at our prices and saying, oh, it's a little bit higher than if I just went straight to the farm. So I'm just going to go straight to the farm, but we're hoping we can keep, you know, earning the trust of our buyers and, um, and proving how, how much easier it can yeah. be. Yeah. And you might end up happening with what, like what happens at the Seattle wholesale growers markets. I'm so embedded in that place. I feel like I'm one of them, but the farmers at some point, some of them are like, I'm not selling to anyone on my farm. You have to buy through yeah. the market. And and it's more about your valuing your time, especially if you don't have employees and that sort of thing. And um that kind of helps too, because if that's really the only way they can get their hands on the flowers, florists will do that. 
Yeah. And some of our growers have started doing that. They just sort of said like, we don't do wholesale anymore. It's just yeah. through Old Dominion Flower Cooperative. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't require that. That's something yeah, that that's I want to mention too, is we didn't say to our growers, if you sell to us, you have to sell only all your wholesale through us, or you have to not do a CSA or any, we haven't put any restrictions on that because we know you know, every single grower has different values, um, and different time and different, you know, their whole, their business is structured a certain way. And so we definitely don't want to ask our growers to give up any of their, you know, personal relationships if they love their CSA, or if they absolutely love going to farmer's markets or, um, sure. whatever their model is, we want to just, we want to be an addition. We don't want to ever be a subtraction. So that's something that we were really committed to at the very beginning is we don't want to ask growers not to sell anywhere else, but we have noticed some growers have started saying, I don't want to manage wholesale, you know? Sure. And it seems like, it sounds like it's going to evolve because still early in the season. Things could, it sounds like your flexibility is allowing everyone to try this on and see how it works for them. Were you going to say something else, Melissa? I'd cut you off. Were you going to jump in? I don't know. Just to, <laughs> um, just to piggyback on um, what Megan was saying is some of our growers have put like thousands of dollars into their wholesale websites um, before the cooperative was a thing, because I think that's more of a trend now with uh, local flowers is, um, you know, pushing wholesale. And before there was a co-op, that's how they had to do it. So um, we are trying to mitigate the balance of like trying to, you know, sell out everyone's product so they they can just sell it through the co-op and um, and understanding that people have also put work into their and money into their own wholesale. Right, right. So for them, they maybe just see you as another wholesale channel, but they'll keep their existing one until it stops yeah, and it's, working. Yeah, and it's different for every grower. They've, yeah. they've, they've all kind yeah. of their different ways of doing things. Yeah. So we're coming up on May 2nd and it sounds like you have a, these flower friends chomping at the bit to come buy local flowers. And uh, maybe when we, as we're wrapping up, we can kind of talk about what you both predict the season's going to look like. And, and I, I do think having that public option is essential for changing the, the landscape and changing the cultural shift of consumers on understanding where their flowers come from. It's great that the florists already are embracing it, but they don't have the time to talk to every customer. So I think this is brilliant that you're doing this. How's it going to look? Um, so <laughs> we're really excited. We're really, really excited about the public. I come from um, a background of community organizing and, and agricultural education. So the fact that we have an opportunity to talk to the public and um, educate them on why local and why this matters to rural communities, why this matters for health, why this matters, you know, for so many reasons, quality. I mean, if even down to the, the fact of quality and also relationship building in your community and knowing your farmer, you know, Slow foods is a thing and I'm I'm behind it. I was a veggie farmer, but I think slow flowers, and I know you know this, Deborah, it's coming. And I think it's coming in a huge wave around here. And so people found us and I uh, our social media following is growing because I think that education component people were hungry for of like I've had people message us and be like, I just don't know how to get local flowers or designers message us and tell us like, I don't know how to talk to a farmer. They use language I don't know, you know, and it's intimidating for them. So the, I'm excited this season. I think those public markets and those relationships are going to be huge for growing local flowers with us just being able to educate and create relationships. Um, wow. And for the designers to charge more or a true price for local flowers, because if, 
the public, you know, they charge more when they go you know, the farmer's market or whatever, because the true cost cost of that product um, and it's worth. So that's exciting for me. And I'm sure for Megan. Yeah. Yeah. We're super excited about the, the public element just because it is, it's an infusion of excitement for us. It's uh, customers that we get to talk to directly that are super excited. Um, and the flower friends that have, you know, invested in the, the years long kind of membership have given us their trust that we can, you know, provide them these gorgeous flowers. And so I'm super excited for this weekend for our first public market, because we're going to be able to really engage with these folks that have expressed both, you know, with their time and with their, their money to say like, I really care about local. I really care about flowers. I want to, you know, continue to engage throughout the season. I think it's just, it's kind of our version of a, of a CSA in some ways. Um, It doesn't include, you know, uh, of specific flowers every time. It just includes access to purchasing from us. Um, but it's really something that I think is going to be really fun. We're keeping it small because of COVID right now, but our hope is that in, you know, next year, uh, and in the future that the public market can be something that's really impressive. All of our farms can come. It can be this really fun environment with music and food and, you know, making it this really special celebration of flowers every two weeks. Um, but for now, it's it's something that we're keeping really exclusive. It's just our members and sure. they're going to have access to our flowers. I see. Well, that's okay. I mean, it's like you're incubating this idea. So it's is it every other Sunday? Um, mm-hmm. And they what at the same location you're talking about? And do they get to shop, or do they is it do they pick up a bucket or a pre made arrangement? Yeah, so they're going to get to shop. Um, we're going to have pre made pre made arrangements um, if that's something they want. But the feedback we've gotten so far is that folks are excited to play with the flowers themselves. So we're just going to have things in purse stem buckets, and um, you know, hang out and <laughs> you know, make bouquets together and um, play with the flowers. And um, we're also going to be we have a lot of our growers had extra plants or tubers or things like that. So we're going to be able to also talk about what it's like for our flower friends to be able to take plants home and grow flowers in their own yards. And that's phenomenal. It's so interesting that we've had, um, and I've written about and had on the podcast, uh, Natasha Kajanik from the Toronto flower market, which has been this market for like five or six years, once a month from May through, I think, October, or maybe they even do a holiday. It's like a farmer's market, but just with local flowers and local plants in a, in a park, a private park um, in Toronto. And it's just this happening. And I've been so fascinated by that model and wondered why it's not happening elsewhere. And, um, of course they got hit with COVID and they had to, uh, go online last summer. But, um, but anyway, I see that you could grow into something like that and it benefits the whole community because you're right. People get to meet farmers and talk to people about where their farm is and what they're growing. And those relationships matter. And, you know, just back to that point about value and price, I sort of feel like, I wanted to jump in and say, you know, this whole idea about people being willing to pay a little bit more to support a local farmer. I also think they're willing to pay more because the flower is super fresh and is going to last longer because it hasn't been in a box for five days out of water. And so you're actually having to redefine what a fresh flower is expected to do in a, with completely different product. I'm sure you know that. Superior product. And yeah, I think the public is, when, when they're so excited about yeah. it, I think you know. I think that's the main thing here is education. 
Right. Well, you have so many uh, great resources on your website, so we'll make sure we share that. But basically, there is an events calendar um, for workshops and the public market. There's also information to just sign up and receive uh, your newsletter. And I guess if somebody is interested in joining, um, you know, as a flower friend, is it closed right now, the members only market? Or are you going to have um, openings for more you know, customers uh, as the season goes um, on. It's still open. Um, if you go to the, how we work tab on our, um, on our website and scroll down to the public, there's a little section there on how to engage with us and public and an option there to sign up directly for the flower friends membership. Yeah. You have four buyers for the public and four growers. Okay. Awesome. Well, will you share some photos too, that we can put in our show notes of, of both of you and your flowers and your your peeps, your whole, I mean, I don't know if you have a, a group photo yet. You probably don't because you haven't all gotten together. <laughs> no, some of our owners haven't even met each other yet. So yeah. that's, <laughs> yeah. But That'll we, happen. we definitely have flower uh, pictures of all of our flowers together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There you go. That's a good point, Megan. And um, listen, this has been so much fun. Before we close, is there anything else you want to add that I didn't ask you? Because we could go on for two hours, I'm sure. Um, no, just thank you so much. Um, you know, we're so grateful for for folks like you or Ellen Frost or other folks who've opened the door and the excitement from this. Because if there wasn't pioneers and local flowers, we couldn't get designers on board to help us do a project like this. So thank you yeah. for having us. It's been wonderful. Yeah. But, you know, as creative solution oriented women to put their heads together and look what comes out of it. And I don't want to just say women, but come on, we know that you, <laughs> you gals are, you, you're figuring it out and you're making it work and you're bringing others along with you. <clears throat> That's the definition of community. So I applaud you and I, I just wish you a great season uh, moving forward and uh, good luck with your own farms. <laughs> they might, they might be the orphans this year, but that's okay. Right. <laughs> they'll, they'll bounce back. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be fun to watch what you're doing and um, good luck with that. Uh, when is when are you due, uh, Melissa? I'm due in October. So. Oh, good. Very excited. You timed it perfectly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully the baby will be born on the first frost date and it'll be like, oh, no, <laughs> no stress. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thanks you both so much. Congratulations and uh, kudos to creating, I mean, clearly creating something that met demand and it's going to actually sell more flowers and elevate the flower conversation in Northern Virginia. So really been fun talking to you. Thanks Thank so much. You. Thank you so much for joining my conversation today. We are committed to nurturing this new business model for wholesale flower hubs, and the stories will continue. Our next sponsor thank you goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products, and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. We have a very special Slow Flowers member meetup coming up very soon, and I want to give you all the details. It's all about peonies, and we're meeting virtually on Zoom, as we've done for more than a year, folks. (laughs) Join me Friday, May 21st, 
That's this Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. And meet two Slow Flowers members from Alaska's peony country. Grower Beth Van Sant of Scenic Place Peonies and designer Brandon Scott McLean of East Hill Floral will share their knowledge and talents and introduce us to the upcoming Alaska peony season. Beth and Brandon will come to us live from the greenhouse at East Hill Floral. Learn about the selection, cultivation, and post-harvest best practices for peonies from Beth and watch an inspired floral design demonstration from Brandon. You can find the link to join us in today's show notes for episode 506 at deborahprincing.com. We'll also have the link in our profile on Instagram, which is at Slow Flowers Society. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms, large and small, and even to backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 727,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks to support Slow Flowers' ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more Slow Flowers on the table, one base at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Music